Do I have a surprise for you, ladies and gentlemen? We had an awesome interview with Roar Lions Roar with Bill DeFlippo. And it was supposed to be just the Big Ten Pick'em portion of the Wednesday episode. But it was so good that we decided to just give you a bonus, a little extra, maybe boost to get you out of your Ohio State rut. So just enjoy this episode for what it is. We talk Drew Aller, Sean Clifford. We talk Ohio State. We talk wide receivers and portal. Enjoy, everybody. Welcome on to the show now, Bill DeFilippo from Roar Lions Roar. That's the best I'm going to say it, Bill. I apologize. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing great, man, and don't worry about it. You are, you are certainly not the first person to, uh, we'll, we'll say, have a creative pronunciation of that. <laughs> My last name is Lestoki, and it, it gets the same amount of stuff, but I promise <laughs> you, I was, I was in the shower today to make things weird, practicing your last name. So I'm not sure the last time someone said your name in the shower, but it's probably me. <laughs> I'm I'm choosing to be flattered by that, but uh, regardless, I'm 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 very thankful to be on the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, you don't have to Thanks say your thank. On. Yeah, you don't have to say your thank for being on the show after I drop that. Um, it's fine. A lot to talk about, though, Bill. Um, Penn State just handed their second loss of the season. Ohio State, obviously, coming back and winning that game, 44-31. What are your kind of overall thoughts on the season at this point? Obviously, that uh deflating game against Ohio State? Well, um, it's it's weird because a thing that I have been thinking, like, like coming into the season, I thought this was an eight-win team. I thought Penn State was going to lose to Ohio State, Michigan. I thought they were going to lose at least one of Purdue and Auburn, and then they were either going to lose the other of that game or 
they do something that's kind of been known as like become known as the Penn State thing and just drop a weird one somewhere along the way. And, you know, they passed those first two early tests. They lost in Ann Arbor, which, you know, I, I thought they were going to do. I know a lot, most people thought they were going to do same with the uh, Ohio State games. So from that perspective, I, I'm happy. Well, I, I'll say happy, content, content is probably a better word. I'm content with how the season has gone so far. Um, I think that it's always going to hurt a little bit when Penn state fans get reminded that there is a gap that exists between Penn state and Ohio state and Michigan. And I think in two separate ways, we saw that we saw that in more kind of the grand way in the Michigan game, which is that Michigan is just a terrible matchup for Penn State. Michigan's a better football team going to Ann Arbor's a little shop of horrors. And then the game against Ohio State was a reminder that like for how much we love this Penn State team and how good this Penn State team is, they just kind of lack the individuals who are able to, through sheer force of will, change games like a C.J. Stroud like a Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, like a JT Tuiamolo, like those sorts of guys. So it, it's been a weird season. It's been a fun season. That kind of caveat hangs over it. Penn State still has a way to go, but they have less of a way to go than I think I would have said at the beginning of the season. So to that end, I would say I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with things. Yeah, I think uh, you and me, Bill, I predicted nine and three and you predicted eight and four. I think we both had similar expectations and we we're probably on a similar ride because Corey predicted a 10 and two year. Um, and I thought we would lose to Auburn. I picked us to lose to Auburn, lose to Michigan, lose to Ohio State. But it's just been an interesting path. And then I had a lot of the same takeaways after the Ohio State game. And, I mean, the Michigan game, I was pretty irritated because I thought we could have played better. But the Ohio State game, I mean, I'm always mad, I'm always angry to lose to Ohio State. But at a certain point, you got to just be like, well, they have more elite players than we do. And you got to just hope this freshman class is able to put us over the top a bit. Yeah, it, you know, it's really funny that you mentioned that, Sean, because a thing that I've been thinking in the last couple of days, and this has been informed by talking with – other Penn State fans over the last couple of days. And it's that one thing no fan ever wants to hear is that your team is not good enough, that the other team is just better. And you always want to feel like you're in control of things, right? You always want to feel like your team is the one that is going to be able to, uh, you know, you win the football game. Your team is the one that is in control of that. Or your team loses the football game because your team choked it away or whatever. And with the Ohio State game in particular, sure, there's an element of uh, of that. You know, if uh, you know one or two things go right, maybe Penn State's able to. You know, maybe Penn State doesn't need a late touchdown to cover that that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, kind of what you and I have mentioned, which is that Ohio State have guys who are able to just grab a game by the scruff of its neck, and through sheer force of will, go, "We are better than you." And I think that hurts. That's not something that a fan ever wants to see out of their team or is admit is part of their team. But like Bill Connolly uh, said today, like Ohio State averaged 7.4 or Penn State played really well. Penn State's defense played out of its mind and Ohio State averaged 70.5 uh, yards per play. 
you can we saw basically the best version of Penn State for pretty long stretch, which if you, with obviously huge mistakes in there, but we saw for long stretches some of the best football we've seen out of Penn State this season. And as a result, they lost 44 to 31 to Ohio State. And I don't know about you guys, but as I think more and more about this team and where it is and where it needs to go, and I look at a game like Ohio State as the yard marker. The big takeaway for me is that it's just such a massive hill that Penn State is trying to climb. And even when they get up that hill and they start making progress on that hill, they look up and see how much farther to go. And it's a matter of whether or not you are going to be, for lack of a better word, stubborn enough to keep trying to do that, or you kind of throw your hands in the air and go, all right, we're just never going to beat Ohio State. Yeah, I think to go off of that same sort of illustration, that hill's also gotten steeper and gotten bigger, mm-hmm. too. And one of the worst things that maybe could have happened as far as, far as Penn State fan expectations go was that win in 2016 because everyone thought, OK, Penn State's caught up to Ohio State. Penn, State. Penn State's there now. And two things have happened since then. Ohio State's gotten a lot better. And the expectations for Penn State have grown whether or not they should have. And so... Mm-hmm. Like you said, this game, Penn State played really well. I mean, there's things they did defensively we hadn't seen all year, especially tackling-wise. But it kind of reminded me of the 2017 game, Penn State and Iowa, but we were Iowa. Like, Iowa played a really good game, and at the end of the day, Saquon Barkley just did stupid things, and Trace McSorley let a drive, and Jawan Johnson catches the ball that was almost tipped to win the game and it wasn't obviously down to that last second play but the same kind of principle we had better athletes in Iowa and at the at the very end that was sort of the difference and that, that was sort of the difference on Saturday yeah my my co-host Nick Pollock ba- basically said uh you know it's funny it's almost like Ohio State was following the underdog script in this game right they got outgained they had fewer rushing yards they had fewer passing yards but the thing that happened was Penn State turned the ball over and they were just able to capitalize on that and like that is that's where i think this law lo- you know you look at this loss one of two ways either you're in i think the camp that i'm more in which is you see all the stuff that Penn State did well and you take those away as positives as reasons for optimism, especially over the next couple of weeks of the season, or you get hung up on and really frustrated about, man, if they just don't turn the ball over four times, they had Ohio state dead to rights. So like, where do you guys kind of fall on that? Are you like in the camp of Penn state, let that one slip away? Or do you think it's more that again, at a certain point, Ohio state was just able to show why they are, you know, why they are, one of the favorites, you know, they were ranked second in the playoff poll tonight. Well, I mean, for me, it's kind of a combination of the two. Like, mm. I, we always say Sean Clifford is an average quarterback. Um, and average quarterbacks, when they play against elite competition, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that aren't great. Uh, Bryce Eftner is, it just isn't a good matchup for JTT. And you kind of saw that. Now, when you're up 21 to 16 on Ohio State and you end up giving up 28 points in nine minutes, yeah, part of it's going to go, yeah, we really shouldn't have done that. 
But you can't you can't deny a lot of that is because their elite players woke up and they started making plays. So it's kind of a kind of a ba- kind of a uh, combination of the two things for me. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point, Sean. Like we talked earlier this week, Sean, about how the the last three times Penn State's had a lead in the fourth quarter against Ohio State, I felt like maybe Ohio State went and took this one more than maybe the 2017 or 2018 instead of I know there was turnovers but even that people talk about the pick six I think the game was over way before the pick six and I don't even really talk about that in my analysis um but even the forced fumble like he made a great play I mean it is and there was a guy open downfield if Clifford has another half a second so like I just think Ohio State made plays and, and sort of took it but to your point Sean if you have Sean Clifford drop back to pass 48 times or, or probably 50 times, I think he scrambled once or twice. I mean, that's really not the recipe to win football games for Penn State moving forward. I mean, it, it hasn't been for his entire career. We've done the numbers before. They're one in six when he throws the ball 35 plus times. And and that was the, the, the same reasoning on Saturday. Yeah, and you and you feel for Clifford, right? Because you could tell that you could tell that he played some of his best football this season. And like, he really seemed like he, he he did a good job. I would say not getting too terribly rattled. Obviously there was the, uh, there was the interception that he threw where he tried forcing the ball into Katron Allen, which I, I believe led to, led to points. Yeah. That led to points for Ohio state, but otherwise I don't really put too much of the blame for the other three. You know, I, I don't really put too terribly much blame on anyone um, for the other three uh, for the other three turnovers. I think again, that was just a player for Ohio State being able to do stuff that shows you why he was a top five recruit. Shows you why he's a guy that Ohio State kept a spot in its recruiting class until the summer opened for him. He's a guy who's going to be an NFL draft pick someday, and. You feel for Clifford, you, uh, you know, you hope he's able to have a big bounce. He's able to bounce back this week against uh, an Indiana team that he's uh, hasn't always had a great time playing football against, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's tough. Cause you all, you almost root for a guy like that to have, you know, it's not the end of his career, but have that little storybook moment of, the kid from Ohio getting to go up against Ohio state for the first time in front of his home fans uh, and, you know, play a pretty good football game. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. We, we were wanting to see Clifford have that moment. It was 30 to 24 and you're like, man, if they just get the ball back, I mean, what a, what a great ending this could be for him. And it just didn't happen. And I, I, I think it's almost like, if you're studying really hard for a test and like for a month or for, for even a year and you're really studying and you think you have all the material down, you're feeling pretty confident and you go into the test and you fly through it and you feel really good about it and you get the the results back and you made like three or four stupid errors that, that cost you from passing the test. And like you, you, you had it all down, you were well prepared, you, you knew the material, but it was just it was just a silly mistake here and there. Maybe even things that are out of your control, and and, and that's just kind of how it ended for Sean Clifford. Yeah. Sean, yeah, you had it, something on that? Huh. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it kind of encapsulated Clifford's career uh, on Saturday. There were 
good moments where he made where he made plays, and then there were bad moments. But in the end, he came up short against a great team, and I think that's that's sad because Clifford is such a good dude from all accounts. And he's done a lot for the university as far as NIL goes. He's always kept a good attitude. Those four uh, values that James Franklin always talks about, I feel like he upholds them all. And you just want to see him take that next step. And he just either can't or he doesn't. And it's and the, the way I've been describing him is frustratingly average. Because he has so many good moments, and you just think he's going to take that next step, and then he just can't. And you just feel for the guy, man. But I think it's I, personally, I, if I were James Franklin, I'd be starting Drew Aller this week. Good transition, Sean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Preview for what's coming. Well, well, Bill, I, I'm not sure if you got to listen to all of the press conference today, but obviously there was. Maybe some some dancing going around around by Franklin. He sure didn't come out in the press conference and confirm that Sean Clifford was going to start on Saturday when he had the opportunity probably six or seven different times by the way the beat was continuously asking him questions. It's it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting situation for, for Franklin right now. You can obviously stick with Sean Clifford where maybe you'd feel better about Penn State winning four games and, and going to potentially a New Year's Six Bowl especially with Penn State at 15, that looks pretty, um, mm-hmm. very possible. Or you can roll Drew Aller and maybe you, maybe you, you know, mess up somewhere and you fall short in one game and you finish nine and three and you end up at, you know, maybe a lesser bowl. Where are you at in all this? It's obviously a loaded question and there's, and there's a lot of different ways to go, you know, with it, but, but where are you at? <laughs> Uh, there's part, is there part of you guys that wonders if James Franklin is just kind of bored of getting this question and keeps trying to find ways to entertain himself and how he answers it? I will just say this. The dude <laughs> has like he has all of the bowl game uh, logistics figured out ahead of time just in case they might happen to go to a random bowl. And <laughs> I find it very difficult to believe that he didn't already know what he was going to do if he was in this position in the summer. To be honest with you, the dude is just yeah. so well prepared. I just feel like he yeah. he already knows what he's going to do. Yeah, it's I not mean, something he would wait to the last minute to figure out. Yeah, yeah, Corey, you and I talked about it in the summer, this possibility. So I'm sure he did. He at least thought yeah. about it. Well, it, what was it? Was it the lead up to the Minnesota game where Clifford only did handoffs in front of the uh, media, like open portion of practice and then left for a while without throwing the football and suddenly it's oh my god is Sean Clifford able to throw is it going to be Drew Aller blah blah like the perfect game to get Drew Aller in mm-hmm. is the uh is the what but here here is my thing coming into this college football season what is the list of coaches who straight up needed a 10 win season or a potential uh, New Year's Six season more than James Franklin. I would argue the list of co- and, and you know Franklin obviously has job security in terms of uh, in terms of what his contract is. But I just mean in the narrative around a guy, around his program, around where his program is in the ranks of a conference, a division, whatever. I would argue the list of coaches who needed that more. Maybe Chip Kelly, definitely Jimbo Fisher. And that's probably it. So I think 
every single decision James Franklin needs to make and is going to make is with one eye on, especially after tonight, uh, when you mentioned uh, first playoff rankings came out, Penn State sitting in 15th, it has to be with the number one priority being it could be the worst New Year's Six Bowl, but if we're 10th and we have 10 wins and we're going to a New Year's Six Bowl, that is a marked step forward for our football program. And whether or not that is compatible with let's let Drew play a little bit, you know, James Franklin makes a whole hell of a lot more money than I do in order to it to just to make that decision. And I think I would not be surprised if there are ways that you could get our some more high leverage or higher leverage snaps than, you know, hoping you're up 38 to three on Indiana and he plays the fourth quarter. But if, you know, if you're sitting here and asking me, would I rather increase the likelihood of an eight or a nine win season and have drew our play. My answer would be what I think doesn't matter. What James Franklin thinks matters. And I would bet any sum of money that man has win 10 games as his number one, win as many games as possible as his number one priority. And my get my hunch is Sean Clifford is the better option for doing that. But I don't think that necessarily means there's no way we can't see drew. out. I just, I'm inclined to think that all that means is Drew Aller is not going to play uh, the majority of snaps in a football game. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the right way to look at it, I think. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. My question, I guess, is to to James Franklin and to the coaching staff is if Drew Aller is this five-star recruit and he comes in, if he can win the next four games shouldn't he play because what i'm trying to argue and i'm trying to figure out is if penn state if you're worried that drew aller can't win you the next four games is he going to be prepared enough in a year from now to be able to hang with and or beat ohio state and michigan if he can't handle indiana on the road with a pretty good running game a pretty good offensive line and a pretty good defense what are we even talking about here? If this guy's supposed to be the dude that Penn State fans want him to be, why, how much of a gap is there between Sean Clifford and Drew Aller right now? Is that gap enough where Sean Clifford can beat Indiana and Maryland and Rutgers and Michigan State and Drew Aller can't? You feel that poorly about Drew Aller in November that you don't want to start him in those games because you don't think you're going to win those games? How much better is that young man going to get by this time next year? And does that mean we have any better of a shot a year from now with Drew Aller against those teams? That's what's concerning to me. If you go out there and put Sean Clifford out there, that tells me that you you do want to win all four games and you do want to get the 10 wins and you do want to go to New York Six Bowl. But it also tells me, I don't think I can do that with Drew Aller yet. And that is more concerning to me for the future. Yeah, I I, I, I think that's a... Uh... I think that's reasonable. I mean, I, you look at this schedule and, you know, you strip away uh, the weirdness that comes from Penn State playing Indiana. Penn State should win this football game by, you know, SP Plus has them winning it by 18 points. Maryland, I'm a bit concerned. I, I will be honest, I'm a bit concerned about Maryland just because I, their games are capable of going off the rails in a way that no other Big Ten teams' games are going. But 
if you think that you can win that with Drew Auer starting quarterback, I get it. Rutgers, Rutgers, you should be able to win that game with me playing quarterback. And it takes me five minutes to get out of my bed because of how tight my lower back gets in the morning. And then Michigan State just seems like a program that, uh, you know, starting to come apart at the seams a little bit. So you, you, you absolutely make a, you absolutely make a really fair point. Um, I, I, the thing that interests me the most, and I would, maybe this is trying to read into tea leaves a little too closely. I don't know, but Franklin said something today about Sean Clifford said he wanted to have a one-on-one talk with me on, uh, on, on Monday or something to, and to that extent, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, on, on, on Sunday, he said he wanted to meet with Franklin on Monday. And as of the press conference Tuesday, Franklin had not met with him yet. And don't okay. feel like you're reading in the tea leaves because that is something that we put on Twitter. That is something a lot of the people that have been following us are super interested in. So this is this is right up our alley. Yeah, it's it, it's mostly it, it's again, the whole uh, it, the whole every time everyone has tried to read into tea leaves this season it's just been all right sean's the guy like no no worrying about but i i found that interesting i uh i i don't necessarily think james franklin or not even james franklin i don't think you get as much of an advantage from like hiding things from opposing teams as i think some fans uh think you might get so uh like i don't think it's going to be like it would need to be some big crazy super secretive thing hush hush uh because when you put Drew Aller out there, Indiana is going to be able to tell that shot Sean Clifford pretty quickly and adjust to that. But it's interesting. I think that's a, that, that seems like the sort of thing that we might end up looking back on Saturday and going, Oh, that was uh, that was pretty prescient. Right. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Sean. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of with Corey on this, like my expectations for this season, if Drew Aller is the starter for the rest of the year, I still expect to win the rest of these games. And if we don't, I mean, I think that means we probably have some issues and uh, Aller might be one of them, but you look at Indiana, Indiana is, is not a good football team. Uh, That's a team, even though Bloomington's a weird place and I wish it was at home. It's that should be a win. Uh, Maryland is is Maryland. Uh, although I think Tungabailoa is coming back, so yes, he's you back know, this week. yes. So that's I will say be... this, Sean. I, I think we we've mentioned this before. I don't think there's a better game for Drew Aller to start than the Indiana game. I think it's smart to get him out of Beaver Stadium where the crowd can't be upset, the Philly fans can't boom if he starts sucking. There's no pressure like that. You're playing one of the worst Big Ten pass defenses. You're, it's not going to be a ruckus environment, and you're going to be, the whole trip out there, you're going to be surrounded by your team and your guys. And you have Sean Clifford to walk over to the sideline to if you do make a mistake. And you're going to be ultra prepared because you have Sean Clifford in that quarterback room in the game leading up to it. I, I don't know how you don't have I'm this, besides Tom Allen and, and being a great defensive mind, being the only negative to that. I, I think this is a great opportunity for him to get his first start on the road. And I guess you could argue maybe at Rutgers would be a good one, too. Right. No, no, Corey, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. Um, it's just Bloomington. It's just it seems to always you seem to always struggle out there for whatever reason i'm happy it's a 3 30 game though because noon games out there it takes at least two hours for us to wake up every year so <laughs> so that's that's a good thing Rutgers is 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 terrible and michigan state i mean they're having problems both on the field and in the tunnel so 
I mean, that this isn't a very difficult stretch, and we should be. I'm sorry, we should be able to win these last four games with our defense with a quote. <laughs> with a great with with the with the real. I think a really good offensive line, especially when Caden Wallace comes back, um, and a good running game. I yeah, I think you should be able to win these last four games if with with the quarterback that the coaching staff seems to feel at least fairly confident about. If you believe James Franklin in his press conferences, and I actually, and I do. Hmm. I I just go back to the way that he could have just said, we're starting Sean Clifford. He gives us the best chance to win. And and what did he say a couple weeks ago? Like Drew Aller's not there yet, et cetera, et cetera. I go back to what he said in the, in the post game about the turnovers up to this point, Sean Clifford had taken care of the football. And I think it's really hard to convince your team that they're going to go in a different direction when your quarterback's taking care of the football. But now after four turnovers, whether it's his fault or not for all of them or not, you can go to your team and say, look, we got to take care of the football. That's a number one priority for our offense is to take care of the football. Our quarterback wasn't doing that. Nothing's changing as far as our goals. We still expect you to be engaged. We still expect to win these next four games, but we're going to do it with Drew. I think you can make that bridge. You can make that argument a lot easier to your team now with Sean Clifford having those four turnovers. And honestly, I'm just curious, why did he even tell the beat? that he was going to be meeting with Sean Clifford. Why was that even brought up? I think it was a mistake because sometimes when he goes off script a little bit, he, he sometimes struggles with the facts. Um, like the one time he's, he said the big house instead of Ohio stadium or whatever the heck he did that one time. Um, I, I think he, he shouldn't have said that. And I just want to know, is it Sean Clifford saying, Hey, I want one more shot at this and they've already made a decision or is it, Hey, I I think maybe this is the time to to give up the ropes, but I'm only 300 yards away from the all-time season or all-time school record for passing yards. Can I at least get that? I don't know, but it just seems weird that that was even brought up to the public. Yeah, you're 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 right. I mean, I again, I'm op, I'm going to continue to operate under the assumption that it's Sean Clifford until it isn't, because there have just been there have been so many times this season where if James Franklin wanted to sub him out and put in uh hour, I think everyone would have said, yeah, or a lot of people would have said, yeah, I think he's justified in, uh, in doing that. But yeah, that's a, it, it, it's an interesting note from a coach who is usually pretty good at, uh, you know, sliding hints into things every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And I love the James Franklin press conferences because if you just read the quotes, you're not going to actually get what he meant to say. So there's some there's some interesting stuff in there, too. Um, let's let's maybe get away from the quarterback talk a little bit, because obviously we could we could talk forever on that. Um, overall, though, Bill, as, as you move into these final four weeks, besides the quarterback position, is there anything else you want to see that we actually had a good fan question? about some of the younger guys, but is there anything else? It doesn't have to be younger guys. It can be a, you know, a specific position group you want to see improve or, or what are you looking for in these final four games? Uh, so two things really stick out to me. Number one is I want to see specifically Nicholas Singleton. I want to see him show a little bit. Like, how, how do I put this I think we could say that if Penn State needs six yards, do you guys feel better with Katron Allen or Singleton being the guy who gets the handoff? 
Ktron out. Same. Yeah, Sean knows how I feel. I <laughs> I think Singleton is a an otherworldly talent, but I think you can see that he's still getting used to the speed of college football. And now that Penn State has gotten past, you know, in Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State, you know, I I'm not going to have enough time to uh, get through SP plus right now, but my assumption is those are the three best defenses. Penn state's going to play this season by a pretty comfortable margin. I want to see if he could start stacking good games on top of one another. And we can start to build a little more confidence in his overall ability instead of his big playability, because I think in terms of big playability, you know, he has like, gosh, I'd say everyone else on this offense lapped. Then I want to see the pass catchers. I want to see, we saw that first glimpse of what happens if we just huck the ball to Parker Washington as much as possible. We saw a really good glimpse of that, but there's a, you know, it's not crazy to imagine a scenario where uh, I believe Mitchell Tinsley is the only guy among the pass catching core whose eligibility is just straight up done. But then otherwise this entire receiving core could conceivably come back next season. And in the event, you know, one of my uh, one of my co-hosts, Matt Filipovic, uh, references uh, calls next year a window year, a year where a window is open for Penn State. Uh, I window is open for Penn State with uh, Ohio State and Michigan maybe both taking step backs and Penn State having a guy like Aller in there. You know, he's not as green; he's a little more experienced to potentially win the Big Ten. And I want to see Penn State's receivers. They're never going to be the ghost guys in Columbus, but I want to be able to see, you know, if Parker Washington's coming back next season, can he uh, do a pretty good impression of what he did against Ohio State a little more consistently? Can one of Harrison Wallace or Keandre Lambert-Smith or maybe even a guy a little bit farther down the depth chart like an Omari Evans or Liam Clifford turn into a consistent, dangerous option. So it's not looking at Washington, looking at Tinsley, looking at the tight ends, and you have to hope one of them are open. On the tight ends, can we see Theo Johnson continue to get more and more comfortable after he missed the first couple of weeks of the season? Can we see Brenton Strange continue to establish himself as one of the best tight ends in the conference? So, so much of what fascinates me about Penn State is they have so much skill position talent I think that skill position talent has the potential to be really special down this stretch and in the lead up to next season. I, and I want to see now that the, now that they're going up against defenses that are decidedly not Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio state, can those guys start to, uh, you know, start to have big games a little bit more frequently uh, because they're going up against defenses that just might not be able to keep up with them. That's a good point. Um... I think and this is just speculation. I, I would be surprised if Parker Washington comes back next year, and I would be surprised if Brenton Strange comes back next mm. year. I'm, I, I'm not saying that's gospel or anything like that, but I would I'd feel better about Parker Washington maybe coming back because he doesn't necessarily have the size. But if he continues the tear that he's on right now from the Minnesota game and the Ohio State game, if he does that these next four games, I, I don't see him necessarily coming back. And, and Brenton Strange... The tight end room is super full as it is, and I think he's done enough at this point to get drafted, and I don't know how much he could really improve his draft stock, just just how crowded that room is. And you think at some point Theo Johnson's going to maybe take a primary role if he can stay healthy um, in the pass-catching duties. But I think that's a good point that you bring up as far as kind of getting right 
and, and specifically on the offensive weapons. It's an exciting four weeks because I'll take you back to 2020. There was a lot of momentum that was kind of reborn winning those games down the stretch to kind of get them settled after starting so poorly in 2020. I think you have a really good opportunity. No one's going to remember next spring who exactly Penn State played or how much they won by in November, but they're going to either remember that Penn State, you know, struggled and they couldn't figure themselves out, or they're going to remember that they went on a tear. And I think with that plus a bowl game, you could be looking at some serious offseason momentum, which, which I take very seriously around here. Yeah, I, and the thing that I'll say on Parker Washington is he just screams to me guy who guy who benefits from NIL because I don't think he has super elite physical tools. I don't think he's a guy who's suddenly going to uh, run like a 4'3 at 5'10", 215 pounds. He has really great hands. He's good at getting open. You know, he could jump a little bit, but I don't think he's the kind of guy who uh, – he's not – I don't think he's going to be a first-round wide receiver. I think that it's very possible he is not a first two a, – a day two receiver, maybe the back end of – uh, the third round, he could be a guy who goes in that range, but I'm fascinated in whether or not he's the kind of guy who, you know, he gets helped out with a couple of NIL deals and it's made worth his while to come back. He could be a kind of guy who is just a really, really, really good wide receiver for four years in the big 10 and is able to parlay that into a bit of money. And then, you know, an NFL spot that's going to be there for him no matter. Because, like, whenever Parker Washington goes to the NFL, I think he's going to be a really good player. It's just I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy who gets drafted very hard. So No, I, I agree with that. I don't think – but I don't think his draft stock's going to get any better because he's not going to get any more faster, and he's not right. going to get any taller. I mean, Hunter Renfro went in the fifth round. I think that – I think you and I are on the right page as far as when he's going to go. I just don't know what else he – if he goes on a tear here, like, see, he didn't start very strong – but if he has the Ohio State film and then he just murders Indiana and Rutgers and let's just say he plays the bowl game and has a good – I think there's enough there. I mean, how much film do you want? Because he's not going to really be able to do anything else that that really impresses or, or boosts his resume. So I guess it's like if not now, yeah. unless he's just a huge team guy, which I get your NIL point and, and maybe he has personal goals. I'm, I don't know the guy personally, but I just don't know how much more he can do for himself if he finishes the year strong. Sure. Sean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I love Bill's point on NIL. Um, I actually haven't even—I actually didn't even think about it. Um, I think either—I think um, I could definitely see him coming back, and I think it could benefit him because no matter what, I mean, it wasn't till the Miss Minnesota game that he was what we needed him to be. And scouts could say, well, he was inconsistent. He had a bad, he had a bad start to the year and they could use that against him. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, and I want to know what Bill thinks about this. I think we got to go to the portal for a receiver next year Yeah, because there are too many. I don't trust any of the receivers coming back except Parker. If he comes back, I like KLS, but he's too, again, way too inconsistent. That's a good point. Um, Mm-hmm. and I like Omari Evans, but he's unproven. So I think either way, we got to go into the portal, maybe try to do and something that if Drew Allard does play these last few games and he balls out or looks at and or looks good, you could get maybe a big time receiver uh, like USC did with Jordan Addison from Pitt. 
No, that's I, I completely agree. I mean, you look at this incoming recruiting class, and I haven't watched a ton of film on Carmelo Taylor or uh, Johnny Shocker, but I don't know. An, like they don't, they are not the kind of blue chip guys that you expect to step on campus and have a huge right. impact from day one. And then, like you mentioned, you look up and down the receiving room, like Liam Clifford's getting a little bit of run. Jane Dotton's getting a little bit of run. Omari Evans is getting a little bit of run. You know, I'm not certain. And Trey Wallace, another guy getting, he's getting more and more, uh, you know, it's not here, not here to say that I don't think any of them are ever going to be good players or certainly nothing like that. It's just, none of them have really used their time on the field to like, you know, just grab a grab snaps by the back, scruff the neck and say, you cannot take me out. And that's something that could potentially come. Maybe a guy like an Anthony Ivy or a Tyler Johnson is able to establish themselves a bit in spring ball. Maybe uh, Keandre Lambert Smith has, you know, a nice another year. Maybe Malik mega puts it uh, together and turns into a bit more than just a gunner on special teams. But I completely agree. Like, I think that, uh, with the transfer portal and with the success that Penn state has had in the portal with a number of guys, a number of different positions, and even this year, like he hasn't been, he hasn't lit the world on fire, but 33 catches, 364 yards, four touchdowns in eight games for Mitchell Tinsley is like a nice, uh, nice start to nice, uh, stint in power five football. So, I, I'm inclined to agree. I absolutely think that as you look at where they are going to, where they should look for bodies in the portal, you know, maybe they decide they want to bring in uh, another running back. Maybe they want to get some reinforcements on the offensive line. Maybe they want to get uh, someone somewhere in the defense, but I do think wide receiver needs to be the position where, you know, for if you're going for a big name, if you're going for what, if you're trying to, uh, battle with the Ohio States and USC's and Alabama's in the world of the portal. I think you need to try and get that due to wide receiver. Yeah, that's a good point. I would just to wrap up the receiver conversation, I think Caden Saunders has only played in one game so far. So I, I think you'll see him down the stretch and I'm excited to see what he can do because, you know, he was a big name coming out last year and we haven't really heard anything yet. Uh, I also will say you guys talking about maybe adding someone to the transfer portal I just find it hard to believe, you know, that nobody leaves. I think uh, Malik Mega or or yeah. Trey Wallace is from Pike Road, Alabama, just down the street from Auburn, Alabama. One of his teammates from Pike Road High School is actually at Ole Miss right now in uh, Quinshawn Junkins, the running back over there. I, I'm not saying he's transferring to Ole Miss or anything like that, but if, if Keandra Lambert-Smith stays, Parker Washington comes back, um, and, and you're looking at Trey Wallace or Keandra Lambert-Smith, let's just say one of them breaks out, and then they go get a transfer guy. I mean, Mega and then either Wallace or Lambert Smith are going to be like, okay, well, now what for us? And then that's not even talking about if Omari Evans or someone else steps up. So there's the, the thing is, there's a lot of guys there. They just – and maybe this is where the next four weeks, you know, start separating some people. But they, they desperately, like you said, Bill, they desperately need somebody to kind of step up here. Uh, and it would be nice yeah. for, for – for if it is Drew Aller down the stretch, it would be nice for him to start getting some – some of those reps to some of the young guys as well. Yeah. And, and the last thing I really want to see, uh, I don't, I, I understand concerns about burning his red shirt before he's hundred percent ready, but I, I, I am all in on the Vega Yoane experience. Um, that dude is big and strong and mean. And that's something that I think they've just kind of missed on the offensive line. And 
Nick Singleton's second touchdown against Minnesota when he just steamrolls the dude who was put in front of who I think it was a, I think he was a senior like my god I I I want as much Vega Yoane as Penn State can reasonably give me down the stretch because I'm you know as much as uh you know I think Sal Warmly has done a nice job all things considered this year I think Hunter Norzad has done a good job uh spelling Landon Tangwall since he was went out but man they just I I, I just love mean offensive linemen and it seemed like Penn State has one yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I'm offensive line is a whole nother kind of interesting conversation because you're talking about, you know, the receivers and how pretty much everyone but Tinsley can come back. We're, we're going to assume that Olu Fashionu is probably going to be going to the NFL. Uh, but still, everyone else technically has eligibility to come back. So that will be interesting. I don't, if there's somebody in the portal that's interested in coming to Penn State along the offensive line, I, I don't know how you don't bring them in. I mean, even mm-hmm. Alabama took uh, Tyler or Taylor Steen or, or, uh, whatever the guy was from Vanderbilt, I believe. I mean, you, you take offensive linemen that want to come near. I think uh, Michigan took a guy from Virginia. Yeah. You go ahead and you do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're the, the thing with Penn State's offensive line is that for so long it has been, uh, you know, it has been what we'll charitably say an area that needs improvement. And we've started to see some flashes this year. And I don't want something like Olu Fushanu goes to the NFL and the entire thing falls apart. I love the, you know, to whatever extent it is feasible, having having a few guys at every position who you trust to one extent or another. So if you can, if there's a guy you can get in the portal who could step in and immediately compete for a starting spot, I think you have, yes, I absolutely think you need to go for that. Absolutely. Sean, any final thoughts before we roll into the pick'em? Do we lose you, Sean? Anyway. Um, he might have just Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I was getting my cat off my laptop. Um, <laughs> um yeah. Uh yeah, I, I like what you said about the offensive line of Vega. I mean yeah, like I can't believe he is so big. I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> at such a young age and I like the and I, I think you might you might have seen this this weekend we had a bunch of guys from Southern California visiting this weekend and Vega is a West Coast kid himself so I think that Stacy so I think having Stacy Collins opens up a whole new um you know recruiting I'm not going to call it a pipeline but more recruiting options on the West Coast mm-hmm. and um and having a guy like Olu that could go in the first round at offensive tackle, where we have struggled recruiting, we have struggled recruiting offensive tackle more than any position on the team. And having a guy like Olu potentially go in the first round—that's that's that's going to do wonders for us recruiting that position. I mean, look at Northwestern; they had Slater, and then a couple of years later, they have Skaronsky, and that's Northwestern. So I could only imagine what it's going to do for us. Yeah, did you guys? Uh... Did did you guys watch Joanne's tape when he was uh, when he was in high school? A man amongst boys. Yeah, if you haven't done that, uh, you know how he's six four and three hundred and thirty pounds and manhandles college players. Imagine what he was doing against high school children in Washington. <laughs> oh, it was. Beautiful. I know. I know. Yeah, he's um, he, and it gives us more flexibility because we'll have him at guard and. 
I've been saying for a long time, and I don't know why it has. I mean, this year I kind of get it, but I think it could change. You could definitely kick uh, Tangwall out to tackle and mm. put a guy like him at guard because we have recruited guard really well. It's just tackle. It's just been lacking the past few years. Yeah, I mean, they. Uh, I, I'm looking at uh, Tangwall's 24-7 page right now and they uh they compare him to ryan ramchick of the new uh new orleans saints who i uh, believe believe uh yeah he's an offensive tackle so yeah i'd be uh what one thing that i've all like has always fascinated me is how penn state tends to get guys in and likes having them uh flexible to play a couple of different positions but uh yeah i'd like to if they can get away with tangle I don't even want to say get away. If Tangwall can succeed at tackle, I'd, I'd love to see the dude out there. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, it's exciting because finally Penn State's getting at least some sort of depth where they can play around with the pieces a little bit. I mean, for a while there, they were just playing people out of necessity. So yeah. it, it's exciting. And also, I will say that the fact that the offensive line has done better this year means that Phil Trotwine doesn't have to be fired, which means they don't have to try to reestablish a whole new way of teaching offensive linemen. They get maybe some consistency there. So that's also nice to see. And, and obviously no one loses their job. So yeah. um, everyone's happy with that instance. <laughs> yeah. I, I just real quick, I've said to some people that like Penn state's offensive line has been such a weak point for so long that like, if you're going to have an offensive line coach is just going to get in five stars and you're basically rolling the dice with them instead of, you know, three stars and, you know, guys who start in one position and have to move to another and maybe graduate blah, 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 blah. Like I'm happy to do that because I just, I've gotten to a point where I don't know what elite offensive line play at Penn state looks like, because other than, you know, the 2012 season, I don't know when they've had that, that level of extremely good offensive line play in the last decade. Yeah. The decade hasn't been great. Now you think about like what the decade how long ago the decade or how early the decade kind of shows up. Yeah, it, it hasn't been good. It's kind of been a miserable decade. Now that you put it that way, a miserable decade. Well, maybe it's been ca- at least cap end on either side by better offensive line play. So yes. at least we have that going for us. Uh, let's go into the pick them, Bill. Just so, so you're aware and, and people that may haven't listened before, um, you're going to pick every game outright. And people at home, you know, the Pick'em is is on there on Twitter. You can go do it yourself as well. Um, pick every game outright. You get one double down where you can choose any game of your liking that you feel confident in, and you'll get two points for that game instead of one. Um, we probably should have rethought how we did that and maybe limited it to certain games or maybe just one game, but we didn't. So for, for next year, I guess. Um, <laughs> so there's been some pretty easy double downs in, in previous weeks. Um that's just kind of how the way you know, the cookie crumbles. So we're going to say Penn State and Indiana for last. Okay. And um, we'll kind of go through them. I am going to give some of the spreads, but again, it is outright. Uh, just so people have an idea of how badly Ohio State's projected to beat Northwestern. <laughs> uh, which we'll start with them because nothing is better than coming off of a win at Happy Valley in Beaver Stadium in a crazy environment and then having to go play at 11 a.m. in Evanston against Northern or against Northwestern, uh, 38 points. Even if Ohio State sleepwalks to the first half, I just find this hard to. If Northwestern beats Ohio State, I have a lot of bigger questions about what just happened to Penn State the previous week. How about that? Listen, 
Northwestern allowed 33 points to Iowa last week. So I am picking Ohio State to just Old Testament type of ass kicking, and this will be my double down game. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, do, you, do you think they cover that? Just curious. 38 points, it, it seems like a lot for a Big Ten game on the road, but Ohio State's also scored, besides Penn State, and even include Penn State, they've scored 45-plus in all their Big Ten games so far. Well, SP Plus has this as Ohio State winning 47 to 8, which would be covering the spread. Uh, FPI, I don't know what they I don't know what they have the scores being, uh, but they give Ohio State a 98.4% chance of winning this game. So uh, I, I know you need to be a little bit uh you need to be a little, you know, sometimes super big spreads. You don't want to fall into the trap of taking them, but uh, Northwestern is allowing 407 yards per game. Ohio State is averaging 509 yards per game. I I think Northwestern is going to be in for a very long afternoon that begins at 11 a.m. local time. Yeah, that that's Sean. I'm assuming you're you're taking uh, Ohio State. I'm actually gonna pick an upset and pick Northwestern. <laughs> uh. <laughs> nah, the, the 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 Buckeyes. Yeah. It's nice that they thought that Northwestern was going to score eight points. I don't even know if that happens. It, it'll be close when it's nothing, nothing. But past that, I mean. Close until the ball <laughs> yeah. gets kicked off. <laughs> yes, it'll be close. Uh, let's go Minnesota-Nebraska. This one's actually kind of interesting to me. Minnesota's on the road at Nebraska. Nebraska's three and five right now, so they don't have a lot of wiggle room if they're trying to going to try to get to a bowl game. But Minnesota's favored by 16 points. Does Nebraska have a chance, Bill, here to maybe pull an upset? I, gosh, that many points in Lincoln is uh, ambitious. Uh, Tanner Morgan is back, and it's unclear whether or not Casey Thompson is going to be able to go for the Cornhuskers. SP Plus has this as a 10-point win for Minnesota, and I think that sounds about right. But, you know, last week I – Watch a bit of that game against uh, the mighty Illinois fighting Illini. Chase Brown went for 149 yards. Tommy DeVito completed 22 of his 20, 20 of his 22 pass attempts. Uh, Nebraska scored nine points at 248 yards of total offense. You know, it's not a fun place to go and play. Uh, Memorial Stadium can be a different, difficult stadium to play in. I, I suppose I can Im- imagine a scenario where. Uh, you know, Nebraska is able to just stick around, stick around, stick around, but I'm not willing to bet on that. I think I am going to take Minnesota here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I, Tanner Morgan coming back too, just maybe is the difference as far as from just presenting, you know, a, a leadership role there just, just throws the ball enough for Mo Ibrahim to do the rest. Sean, where are you at? Yeah, I got um, Minnesota, but I, I think Nebraska covers. It's a big spread, um, but especially at home. But I'm going to take Minnesota. just think they're a better, better team. Yeah, well, that means that Nebraska is going to get the upset. Congratulations there. Um, <laughs> Iowa at Purdue. Purdue really needs to win this one to, to keep their Big Ten West hopes alive. They got Iowa, and then I think the next week, um, yeah, they have Illinois the next week. So two big weeks here. Bill, before we started, or maybe at the very beginning of this, you mentioned that this game was kind of a toss-up for you. Purdue's at home, four-and-a-half-point favorites. Where are you thinking? Well, it's funny you mention that because 
you know, before we came on, I jotted down all the SP plus uh, projection scores of these games. And uh, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but the number was something like 24, 24. It's a pure coin flip. Uh, I believe Bill Connolly's numbers have uh, produced win probability here, 51%. And uh, the likelihood of, uh, you, you know, it, as he's basically running it, Purdue tends to win by 0.4 points in his simulation. So these teams are really, really, really close. Uh, I think that Iowa clearly has the best unit in this game in their defense. And then they also have an absolutely horrendous offense. So this game is going to be base. It basically comes down to what do I trust more Purdue's ability as the number 31 offense in college football to score in the number three defense in college football per SP plus or the 101st ranked offense in college football scoring on the 53rd ranked defense in college football. The game is in West Lafayette. I, I think the, I think Charlie Jones has been just so good this year and he's going to know how to attack this Iowa defense. So I think, think I'm inclined to lean towards Purdue, but you could tell me basically anything happens in this game. And I would probably believe you. I think these are two very, two very different, but very close football teams. Yeah. You, you sounded super confident there. Um, <laughs> Sean, where are you going with this one? Yeah. Um, I don't trust Purdue and I don't trust Iowa, but Spencer Petras on the road. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Purdue. They have a, you know, more explosive offense. I hear. I hear Bill on Iowa's defense, but I think Purdue scores just enough points. That God, they may only need 20, 21, 24 points to win, and I think they can get there. Yes, and real quick, uh, while I have. All of this pulled up. I think it is very important to mention that on the season, Charlie Jones has 840 receiving yards and the top receiver for, uh, for Iowa has 387. That's, That's why I left. I'm surprised <laughs> they right. honestly had that much to, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, Sam, Sam Laporte is a good player. That's true. That's true. And I think he was banged up for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to let you guys know, congratulations, because you guys picked the right team on this one. Purdue's going to win. I actually feel really good about it. If we were taking Michigan and Northwestern off of the double downs, I would I would have Purdue winning this in my double down because mm. A, Brom has Ferentz's number. Purdue has Iowa's number. This is a big game. And at the very least, even if you think it's 50-50, as Audrey Snyder told us before the Michigan game, go with the home team if it's a if it's a coin flip. So for all of those reasons, on top of just having the better quarterback better offensive mind, and Purdue's defense isn't bad. Uh, yeah, I think Purdue wins, and I'm not going to put m- my own money on it, but I encourage all of our listeners to put their money on Purdue to cover that four-and-a-half-point spread. Just don't <laughs> come yell at me afterwards. Um, no, seriously, I feel really good about Purdue, and I'm not sure why, but I just I, I just, I just, think it's going to happen. And Purdue has beat Iowa when Purdue has been the worst team too many times for them to now lose when I think they have the better team. So that is my personal Great analysis there. Let's go Maryland, Wisconsin. This is probably the one that I was most excited about talking about because Maryland's six and two, Wisconsin's four and four, but they've got a little bit of their mojo back. 
They're at home and they're five point favorites. Bill, what's your thoughts here? Man, I hate this game. Uh, I think so. A thing that I've believed for basically this entire season is that uh, Maryland is a really dangerous football team. You know, we've talked about it on our pod. They're the team that have just cut because of their ability to throw the ball. When they are hot, they are really, really dangerous. They gave Michigan a really tough game uh, in the big house. I think they might have done uh, a little bit of scoring late uh, to, yeah, they they scored a little late to make that game uh, slightly more respectable. But at one point, they had it down to 19 to 24 in the fourth quarter, uh, and Michigan was able to pull a, a little bit later. Uh, and then, like you mentioned with Wisconsin, they've started to find their mojo a bit under Jim Leonard. You know, kicked the hell out of Northwestern, lost a tough game to Michigan State in East Lansing, and last week beat up on Purdue. I mean, SP Plus has Wisconsin winning this game by two points, and I think it's tough because I think that for how dangerous Maryland is, especially with Talia Tagovailoa sounding like he is going to be back this week, I don't love picking against them. I'm not looking forward to them coming to Happy Valley. But I think at the end of the day, I'll pick Camp Randall and Wisconsin's defense and uh, and Braylon Allen to be able to give them enough of a boost. And I think I'll narrowly take Wisconsin in this one. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm taking Wisconsin as well. Uh, Just Maryland on the road. I mean, just – just don't don't buy it. Just don't buy the hype there. If they're at home, maybe things get kind of crazy there. But I just don't think they play very well on the road. And um and Wisconsin come had beat Purdue, but then had a bye week, so they're coming off a bye. So oh, I, I I think they are even more prepared for this one. And this is a big one. I'm everyone in the Big Ten West can still technically win it at this point. Um, Wisconsin obviously has already lost to Illinois, so they're going to need some help. But they have beat Purdue. So if Purdue can beat Illinois next week, things maybe get interesting over there. So Wisconsin's not out of it, and I think they get the win. Sean, it is funny that Bill brought up Maryland and how awesome Maryland is. And I just want to reiterate to everybody again, you were really high on Maryland, right? That was you at the beginning of the season I was high on Maryland, right? No, that was you, pal. Um, (laughs) But I was an idiot who was high on Michigan State. Well, not high, but I thought they were going to win eight games and not be totally pathetic and hitting people with helmets and tunnels. And, and remind um, everyone, Sean, who was what was the situation I thought with Michigan State? Uh, Maryland beat Michigan State because they're terrible. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even look as like uh, like as good of a pick anymore because of how awful Michigan State is. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I got Wisconsin. Um, I, I mean, I'll reiterate a lot what you guys said. Camp Randall, I think those fans, I think they probably have a new, there's probably some new life injected into them. Uh, yeah. You know, in, I, I like Paul Chris. I think he did a good job there. I, I think they're probably going to hire Jim Leonard. I think he's done well, uh, all things considered. They shouldn't have lost Michigan State. But other than that, I think they've played well for him. And I think they keep that going. I think they beat a pretty solid uh, Maryland team this week. Yeah, and and just real quick on the Jim Leonard thing, it does seem like all of those – you know, after Paul Chris got fired, there were a lot of players on that team who, you know, posted pictures, messages, those sorts of things, talking about how much they really cared about him. But it does seem like Jim Leonard is a guy they've rallied behind. Uh, they'd like to – potentially like to see get the – Wisconsin fans have uh, – 
seems like Wisconsin fans have gotten behind him just as much. So I think uh, I think it's going to be a really tough environment that Maryland's walking into next, uh, this weekend. Yeah, and it's November, and and picking against team Wisconsin teams at home in November, I just think is a bad idea. Uh, Sean was the one that actually said that this was kind of Jim Leonard's on-site resume, kind of. He has a chance to kind of prove that he deserves the job, and mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. And I think maybe this is this is one of those games he needs to win if he wants the job. So um, I was going to say something else, but – I forgot, so we'll keep going. Um, Michigan State at Illinois. Michigan State, if they had any sort of soul left in them, I think it died in Ann Arbor, if not on the field, then in the tunnel. I saw four more players got suspended today, so I think that's – I want to say it's like eight or seven now. I I don't know if they even show up at all. And a Brett Bielema offense – I got a feeling that they're going to – this could honestly get ugly. The way that Brett Bielema is going to just kind of throw them on the ground and step on their neck. I, I have Illinois winning pretty convincingly here. Um, Bill, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, uh, Bud Elliott you – know, I'm going to read a tweet from uh, Bud Elliott, but he tweeted after the latest round of suspensions, uh, was searching to see which of the suspended Michigan State guys have been playing, and like half of the suspended have been captains, according to – a weekly tracker someone's been doing uh, their number one cat like guy who's been capped in the most this year jacoby windham windman uh he got suspended today uh in all of that so i i think the illini big i as as all of us know a little bit too well after you suffer a really demoralizing loss you really do not want to be playing this uh this illinois team i think they're going to run the ball they have they're going to run the ball. They're going to be a really physical, tough, nasty team. I don't think Michigan State's offense is particularly great anyway. Now they have to go up against the best defense in college football by SP+. So, yeah, the Illini are 16-point favorites here. SP+, has them by 11, but it doesn't have suspensions and whatnot baked in. I, I actually think that this has, this has the potential to get a little bit ugly, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like the Illini as well. Uh, uh, Michigan State, uh, it was just announced that Jacoby Winman is suspended, uh, and he's been their best player uh, on defense the whole year. He's a guy that Penn State actually went after uh, in the portal uh, from UNLV. So, yeah, a lot of bad mojo around the Sparty program right now, and they're facing a red-hot Illinois team. So I had Illinois pretty big. This is kind of Illinois. Like Illinois really needs to win this game too. They they have this, and then they have Purdue, and then they have Michigan. So this is this gets them eight wins, and then you know it doesn't necessarily get any easier from there. Well, until they play Northwestern at the end of the year, but um, they got they got some tough games coming up. So they need this one at home for sure. We'll wrap it. Well, we'll wrap it up before the Penn State game with Michigan at Rutgers. Twenty eight point twenty six twenty six point favorites right now uh, on the road in Piscataway. Rutgers, not awful on defense, but I think they got shut out last week to Minnesota, so not looking great on offense. Yeah, can I double down on this one too? No, no, you you Uh, get damn. I guess if you Uh, wanted to split them up half and half and and risk it, you could. It wouldn't give you any more points. (laughs) I will. I will keep it all in the Bucks. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think Michigan's going to win this one 
pretty comfortably. I know a night game in Piscataway is not always fun. I think this has the potential to be one of those games where that crap, when, when that stadium is packed and those crowds are ready for a big game, they get up for it, but Michigan gets the ball and they're just going to have one of those 13 play 85 yard drives that suck the air out of the building and ends with seven points. And that's just it. So like, I think Michigan wins this one very, very comfortably. Sean. Yeah. Um, wouldn't shock me. Like you said, uh, Rutgers, it could low key get kind of crazy in there. Um, in Piscataway when they're fired up for a game. Uh, I think it stays close for a little while. Um, but it's the type of game that Michigan's just going to end up winning 38-13 or something crazy like that. So I got Michigan big, but Rutgers keeps it close for a little bit. Yeah, I'm with Sean. I'll even go a little bit a step further and say I think it's closer um, in a third quarter than people expect. Mm. Michigan Michigan on the road at Indiana. It was a close game in the third quarter. Michigan obviously losing at home to Penn State in the third quarter. Had a tough game against Maryland. And I think the last time they played at Rutgers, it was also at night. And I think that one went into like double overtime. Why not? Well, I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think it's going to be pretty close. I, it's 26 points. I, I don't. I think. Uh, I think Rutgers, Rutgers covers that one surprisingly. And again, I think that's just because the, there's whether or not it was their fault or not. The tunnel gate stuff that that still distracts from your team a little bit, and. The college football playoff rankings are now out. I just think there's a there's some distractions going on, and and maybe that's just just coach speak that will come back and bite me. But I I, I think it's going to be closer than people are um, giving Rutgers credit for, just because of their defense, and and maybe their offense does something stupid, and and they and Shiano. I mean, we gotta give a little bit of love to Shiano out there. He 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 knows how to play some football, coach some football. So maybe they lose. I don't know. Let's just say they lose by sixteen. How about that? Mm, okay. Um, all right, Bill. The real reason we brought you here to hear you take the Hoosiers. No, um, Penn State, <laughs> Indiana. Uh, talk to us. What, what What are your thoughts on this game? What would you like to see? Well, besides a Penn State win, obviously. But what would you like to see? The floor is yours. I, I want this to be one of those games where Penn State just comes out and takes care of business. Uh, for how much... Indiana has struggled over the last month or so. They kicked off the season at home with the win over Illinois. The last two weeks were a five-point loss to Maryland and a seven-point loss for Rutger, to Rutgers. And those things can stack up, of course, but those things can also be the sorts of things that make you go, hey, you know what? We're close. We're a team that could come out. We're going to play with our hair on fire. We know Tom Allen is good at rallying the troops, even if he's, uh, you know, he's not the best game day coach, but he's the kind of guy who can go out there and get his guys fired up to play some football. Uh, I don't think they're especially great at really anything on either side of the football, which hurts them considerably, but you know, maybe Connor Bay, maybe it's one of those games that plays out like Northwestern, albeit without the, uh, without the monsoon where they just hang around, hang around, hang around, hit a couple of chunk plays. They're able to get some points off of that. And they're making Penn state's life a little more uncomfortable than you think. Ultimately though, I want Penn state to be able to go out after that Ohio state game. It's a thing that every Penn state fan has mentioned for years after losses. They're not always the best team. 
And fortunately against Minnesota, they kind of excise some of those demons, but now they got to go on the road to a place where the last time they played, they outgained the other team by a billion y- yards and lost in overtime. So I want to see Penn state come out, take care of business. I, I'm not even asking for them to win by a million points, even if they have a very professional 17 point win. I'd be really happy in this this game. I just don't want them to be threatened by Indiana at all in this one because the longer you let a team like Indiana hang around, the more belief they're going to have and the more annoying things get. So I'm going to take Penn State to win this game. Uh, Line is 14. SP Plus has it as Penn State by about 18. I think 14 sounds about right. Uh, And yeah, I want to, like, I'm, I'm, the only reason I would not feel better, I do not feel better about this game is because I have seen other Penn State games against Indiana in the past. Yeah, that, that's an understandable point. Um, yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot. Did you go ahead? You, you, you didn't give an actual score. You just said 14. Sure. Do you want to put an actual number to it or no? Uh, Let's say something like, let's say something like, I'll go 28 to 14. Okay, well, that wasn't even my on-the-spot question. My on-the-spot question for you is, who starts at quarterback, and how much do we see of Drew Aller in this game? Sean Clifford starts, you know, and maybe uh, maybe Sean Clifford goes into James Franklin's locker room tomorrow and does the Rudy thing where he puts his jersey on the desk and walks out. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I will say Sean Clifford starts, but they strategically find ways to work Drew Aller in where he is getting, you know, a series here, a series there, that sort of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Does Drew Aller, does anyone know what number he wore in high school? I think he wore 15, or he might have worn 14. I feel like he wore 14. Can we make make sure he doesn't take 14 when Clifford leaves? (laughs) I'm sorry. We need a break because that whole Rudy thing made me think about it. Like you can have my jersey. Do not, do not let him switch to 14. We need a break from the 14 as the quarterback. I know Todd Blackley. I don't care. We need a break. No 14 quarterbacks just for a little bit. Like give it a decade and then we can try again. Like and that's not anything bad against you know Clifford as far as him being a good guy and, and a respectable quarterback. But let's not. We're shooting for something above. Sean Clifford and, and Christian Hackenberg. So let's let's just try to do more than that. Yes, I I, I looked it up and he was indeed 14 when he was in college. Uh, I had a hunch that was 14, and yeah, he, I, I honestly not enough quarterbacks wear 15, so he should stick with 15 in my opinion. Drew Brees wear 15 in high school or college, college. Yeah, so be more like okay. Drew Brees and be less like well, fill in the fill in the the gap with whatever quarterback you want. Um. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a respectable – and honestly, my heart needs a little bit of a break too um, and, and not to have whatever happened last week be anywhere near that kind of level of um, excitement because that was just a roller coaster. We can do those well, once – we can do those once a year, but not at back-to-back games. Well, let me let, – let me, if I may hijack your podcast for a second, would, you, would either of you be surprised if we come – if, you know, halftime rolls around – and Penn State looks like a team that 
got just knocked out by Haymaker after Haymaker and Indiana's up, you know, 10-7 or something like that? Wouldn't shock me at all. Because I know how okay. we are after losses, after losses sometimes, and especially close losses. Hmm. I am going to – I don't want to give away – our prediction for tomorrow night, but all I'm going to say is I'd be extremely surprised by that. Okay. Just because, yeah. just because when we talk about, we just talked about that whole conversation about the offensive line and not being good for a whole decade. A lot of those poor games against Indiana were the lack of a running game. And the easiest way to get over yourself is to run somebody over. And I think maybe Katron Allen can be a, a difference maker, an attitude adjustment in that department. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's reasonable. I mean, I it, it was something I tweeted a little bit earlier today where it was basically, I believe Penn State is much better than Indiana. Penn State should win this game by a lot. But at the same time, like the la- the one Penn State Big Ten road game I have been to was the 2013 lost to Indiana. Uh, the last time they went to uh the last time that they went to Bloomington was obviously that insane pandemic game where again Penn State played them off the field and yet Indiana managed to win. You look at the last couple of games in this series, yeah, Penn State won 24 nothing last year. Before that, 34-27, 33-28. There was a 45-14 in there, but then there was a 45-31. Uh, in that tw- season where it was, that game was not as close as the score indicated Penn State has a, it, I, I don't remember which member of the defense it was, but they score a touchdown in the game's waning moments uh, to make it go from 38-31 to 45-31. So a lot of really weird stuff has happened in recent years against Indiana. I, 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 I was really, uh, Optimi- optimistic uh, might be the word, but there was uh, that quote Franklin gave, af- gave after the game where he basically said from the second they got into the locker room, PJ Mustafer was trying to, you know, pump his guys up, get them, get them level headed and focused on winning next week. So they don't have the letdown. So I thought, think that was really good, but man, it's, it, I, I hate going to Indiana. That's a, never a fun game. Yeah, that's a no, good point too. Because we we typically struggle out there. And look, we were only up seven against Central Michigan this year, uh, going into halftime. So I think yeah. we're more than capable of coming out slow, especially on the road. In a place that we always come out slow. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I feel better also that Penn State has come back and looked good in the Minnesota game. And and although the offense didn't look great early, that, that also makes me feel better. But yeah, I get the juju as far as, uh, as far as Indiana goes. I get it. I do think also it being at three thirty is a little bit better as far as, you know, I think John mentioned that earlier. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, yeah. I just, I just think the team overall and, and the way they can win games is makes me feel a little bit better too. It's not so, throw the ball up and hope we can move the sticks that way. They, they can run the ball. And even if they struggle a little bit early, that, that should eventually wear out Indiana. Yeah. If you can, uh, it, 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 the, uh, the other side of uh, you let them linger and they're going to believe you basically turn into, Oh, what, what game was it? 
I think 2018 where Penn state rushes out to like a 28, nothing lead early on. And it's just off of imposing yourself on Indiana. There's nothing they could do. If Penn state goes out there, scores on that first drive and just makes clear that they're, they're out there on a business trip. I'm going to feel really good about this potentially getting unruly. I'm just never, ever for as long as I live going to pick Penn state to win comfortably in Bloomington because I, 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 it, game it, it, like i just can't comprehend that yeah i mean you, you i could see you know the the horrors of 2014 i think it was like 13 7 uh i i don't think that happens but i can i mean it, it, it leaves scars those kind of games yeah uh for sure uh any final thoughts uh, i please pl- plug whatever you'd like to plug obviously roar lions roar uh you guys you guys do some decent stuff over there yeah, we, we, we have our moments, certainly. Uh, if you want to give us a follow on Twitter, at RLR blog, there's a a uh, link to the Linktree account where you can go and subscribe to our pod wherever you want. Uh, but yeah, I'm just always glad to be able to talk about Penn State football with anyone and everyone. So thank you for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, the uh, pleasure's all ours. Bill, I also just randomly trivia, since you have trivia tomorrow night. Okay. Do you, do you know who forced that fumble and who recovered the fumble for the scoop and score in the 2016 Indiana game? Was Sharif Miller involved in that? He, he was not, but you're you're okay. warm. At least on the recovery, you're warm. Gosh. Uh, oh, God. Uh, not Sharif Miller. This is going to kill me. Um, he, had a, he had a big hit on a Michigan quarterback the year prior. Joey Julius. No, no. <laughs> No, no, he was not playing defense. <laughs> ah, darn. Yeah, you're. I'm if, going to be if really Joey mad. Joey at a forced fumble that or or return one for a touchdown. I think they'd probably be playing that in the Penn State Sports Museum forever. Well, this this goes to how weird these games are. Um, That's true. I I actually did not. I was driving back from. Uh, I was living in State College at the time, and I was driving back from a work trip I made out to Columbus, Ohio. And I literally walked in, and the only play I saw from this entire—I listened to the whole game. Steve Jones on the radio. I am never doing that again. It has nothing to do with Steve, who is just the best at his job in the world. But I am never doing that again because it was agonizing, and I walked in just in time to watch this play. And for that reason, it is extra reprehensible that I cannot, for the goddamn life of me, remember who this was. Sean, do you know? Do you remember? Torrance Brown was involved. Oh! Yeah. And I... Torrance I, Brown is the one that recovered and actually scored the touchdown. Okay, who sacked them? I'm going to go with Kevin Givens, but I don't know that. I just remember Torrance Brown being involved with it. John, I'll give you a hint. He, he, was, a, he was a guest on the podcast. Brandon Bell, how about that? Let's go. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was I. I didn't remember. Yeah, I had to look that up completely. Other, was, other, other than Micah, Brandon Bell is the best linebacker the Penn State has had in the last decade, and I will, I will die on this hill. Yeah, people I forget. Don't disagree. People forget like how good he was his freshman year too. Like, just because he wore a different number doesn't mean he wasn't like that wasn't him. Like he yeah. he played really well in that Ohio State game. I think that might have been his sophomore year, but regardless, he played really well early in his career that I think people somewhat forget about sometimes. But um, anyway, that, that that is not part of the conversation today. But uh, Bill, thank you so much. I we originally we originally tie these to our episode that we're gonna put out on Wednesday. But because this conversation was so good and, and you were so gracious with your time, I think we're actually just gonna put this out 
like tonight and so people have a little bit longer time to digest it so thank you for giving us an hour 20 plus we appreciate it not a problem guys i I'll, like i said always happy to talk about the team and again thank you for having me on and i'm uh, sure we'll do this again sometime yeah thank you bill it was awesome talking to you Again, a huge shout out to Bill DeFlippo for joining us. Check out Roar Lion's Roar if you haven't already. Fantastic guys over there as well. Take care, guys. We'll see you tonight, Wednesday night, for the live show. 